You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip off and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now... TNT analyst Kevin McHale. I tell you what, for Vikings fans, Green Bay playing the Bears is like, do you want to get hung or do you want to get shot? With your host, Galliot Anderson, stops it down behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball operations, Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, when players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip off. Weaving our way around episode 45 of the Hangtime Podcast, part two coming to you. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog, Lang Whitaker, Slam Magazine, my co-host Lang. We, we've talked about this thing, all of this, the, the drama and intrigue that surrounds the trade deadline uh, from so many different angles, but the Denver Nuggets have a lot of work to do now that Carmelo Anthony is no longer a part of their franchise. And as we mentioned, Carmelo... Chauncey Billups, Sheldon Williams. I know Anthony Carter is one of your all-time favorites. Ronaldo Balkman is heading back t- to New York, which means you get a chance to, you know, hang out with one of your good old friends. What, what, what does it look like to you if you're standing where, you know, from a distance looking at that Denver team now and what they have in front of them? I mean, I, I obviously they're they they try to get as much as they could get for Carmelo. Right. And they felt this was the best deal they could get. And uh, they got a lot of young guys. They're going to have some cap flexibility. And, um, you know, I, I think they're not aiming. It would the, the initial look is you look at it and you're like, well, you know, they're shooting for two or three years down the road. Mm-hmm. They're not aiming for right now. However, the way they played last night. <laughs> you know, they were flying up and down their court, sharing the ball, getting shots up. I, they looked really tough. And, you know, maybe it's the case of, you know, gaining by losing something or, or I, you know, I, I don't think they're a title team this year. No. But I think they maybe they're they're more a little more dangerous. And, and with this off their shoulders, they're a little more uh, feel a little more loose and free. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. Let's. Let's bring in our next guest, and maybe he can shed some some light, and maybe give us some insight on you know the mindset out there, and and maybe what what comes next. Joining us now from the Denver Post, Chris Dempsey, the man who uh, basically kicked all of this stuff off, <laughs> breaking breaking the the story that Carmelo Anthony was getting traded to the New York Knicks after seven months of all that speculation. Chris, uh, I, I know the Carmelo thing. You you know everybody was glad to see that 
finally come to a conclusion. But then to, to piggyback that with Darren Williams getting traded, it's, it's, it had to have been a wild 24 hours in everywhere, especially Denver. Yeah, it's really amazing. And, uh, you know, here it was just, you know, from a, I guess from an organization and fans and everybody around here were really ready to uh, get the mellow thing behind uh, behind them and kind of move on and see what the, the Nuggets can do in the future. But it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, once the mellow, the mellow trade went down, it just kind of, it's obvious it opened up the floodgates for the rest of the NBA. And, uh, the Northwest Division has taken an enormous hit here in the last, I'd say, 48 hours. It's little three of its big stars with Mello and Billups and now Darren Williams gone. Uh, but, yeah, uh, the Mello thing um, is, is, has been a long time coming, and uh, now I think a lot of people around here are eager to see uh, what the Nuggets do to kind of retool and get themselves back into becoming contenders again. Well, Chris, before we get into, like, the long-term plans for the Nuggets, last night they, they kind of turned it on <laughs> playing yeah. with the depleted roster against the Grizzlies. Was, was that a little bit of a, a blowing-off steam game, do you think, for them? Or? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think you're it, right, nail right on the head right there. It's a, they, those players had a chip on their shoulders. Uh, they wanted to show that. Uh, you know, even without Carmelo Anthony, and I guess uh, without Chauncey Billups as well, that it's still a good basketball team. That it's a team that's, uh, you know, they they want to make the playoffs, and they I think they wanted to go out and prove that they are still uh, worthy enough to to you know to be mentioned as a team that can get into that playoff field. So uh, they went out and played like it. They really did, and and quite frankly, it was a pretty important game given the fact that Memphis is kind of right on their heels in the in the playoff race. So. Uh, it was a very nice way for the Nuggets to start off the last 24-ish games of the season. Uh, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how they integrate the new guys and, and, and keep it going. Chris, when do you think reality sets in for the, this Nuggets team? And, you know, yeah. they look over and Chauncey is not there to bail him out with a big shot. Carmelo is not there for you to feed him the ball in the fourth quarter of a close game when you need to pull it out. I mean, when, when does that kind of hit them and, and how do you think they respond to it? Yeah, that's a it's a really good question. I think, you know, the their execution in the fourth quarter is going to be something to really watch because you're right and, and, and quite frankly I think they traded away something like 29 game winning shots between oh, the wow. you know Carmelo Anthony and, and Chauncey <laughs> Billis so uh, you know who takes that last shot you know how they execute you know Chauncey Billups you know when, when the when the games got pressurized late late in, in, in the contest Chauncey was kind of a cool head that can get everybody organized uh, make sure they execute when when it was time to execute when the when the stakes were at their highest and you know I, I think we saw just right prior to the all-star break the Nuggets went to Golden State and at late in the game uh, Chauncey Billups wasn't uh, uh, Chauncey Billups didn't touch the ball in the last play of the game it went something like J.R. Smith to Ty Lawson to Nene and Nene misses a, a, a jumper at the buzzer to lose at Golden State that's a problem because you have a bunch of guys who hadn't been in that situation before. And the Nuggets are going to have to figure out ways to win late. They're going to have to figure out 
you know, where their scoring is coming from on a night-to-night basis because they really don't have a consistent night-in-and-night-out score anymore. Uh, and so there are a lot of little things, or pretty big things, actually, that they're going to have to get worked out uh, here as they go forward. But you're, you're right, that fourth quarter uh, in execution and game-winning shots and that kind of stuff, uh, that is going to be huge, especially if they're battling for one of the last few playoff spots and, uh, in the last week or two of the season. You know, Chris, there was initially some talk about, as soon as this trade went through, about the Nuggets flipping Gallinari or one of these pieces. Do you think, are the Nuggets done up until the trade deadline this year? Yeah, I think they're done. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're comfortable where they are. Uh, it's not to say that they wouldn't pick up the phone if, you know, if, if somebody called and, and blew them away with an offer. Right. But out, outside of that, uh, they will not, there will not be a trade. They're going to uh, keep the team as it is. They really do want to see what the pieces kind of look like together and, you know, how they play, uh, how they fit, you know, how George Carl gets this team to coaches this team. And then at the end of the season, kind of reevaluate with the information that they've gotten uh, from this last month and a half or so uh, of the season and, and then retool from there. Uh, so I, I think we've seen the last of what they're going to do uh, and they'll get back, uh, you know, active again in the off season, you know, you'll provide, the, the CBA stuff gets worked out. Chris, as long as this thing took to get done, you know, and we've seen what happens when a player departs after, you know, becoming the face of the franchise, who do we point the finger at as, you know, as kind of the culprit to why this took so long? A lot, I mean, is it Melo because he was the one who could either agree or not agree to sign that extension? Is it the Nuggets front office who was, you know, who was – Hell bent on holding out until they got exactly what they wanted. Who 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 do we point fingers at when we say you just held us hostage for the last seven months to do a deal that you could have done seven months ago? Yeah, I, I think at the you know I think it's maybe equal parts Carmelo Anthony and the Nuggets organization just because Carmelo Anthony gave them a list of basically. <laughs> two teams at the beginning. You know, it was basically, you know, trade me to you, New York, or trade me to Chicago, mm-hmm. or maybe I'll think about the Nets as well. And, you know, outside, when you kind of hamstring a, a, an organization like that, and everybody in the NBA knows it, it makes it that much harder to, you know, trade the player and get the value that you think you should get from the player. The other little, uh, the other piece of that was, is uh, the, the Nuggets didn't necessarily want to trade Chauncey Billups, mm-hmm. and uh, to hear them talk, they did everything they could to not include him in packages, but at some point realized that the only way they were going to get value for Carmelo Anthony was to include Chauncey Billups in that, uh, in the package as well. So, uh, you know, the Nuggets, uh, you know, Josh Kroenke and Masai Ujiri, they really took their time. They really explored all the options and they had to play a little bit of hardball with teams that knew, uh, that Carmelo wanted to leave and only really wanted to go to a couple of spots. Wow. Chris, what, what's the feeling in Denver about all this from the fans? I mean, I, I know it doesn't seem to be the LeBron leaving Cleveland levels, but are, are, are people mostly just glad this is over with, or, or is there yeah, a little absolutely. bit of uh, you know, uh, bad, bad blood there? 
Yeah, you know what? It, it's been a roller coaster of emotions here with the fans. You know, it's the, at the beginning of the season. I, to be honest with you, I think the fans didn't understand the reality and the gravity of the situation at the beginning of the season. There was a lot of, well, we can just keep him here the, the entire season, convince him to stay, put some pieces around him, and he'll be fine. And that changed in December when it started to when it really looked like he was going somewhere to. Fans got a little angry, wondered why Carmelo Anthony wanted to leave the, the city, thought it was a referendum against the city of Denver itself. Uh, really, was, there was a lot of angst and a lot of frustration there. And I think in the last few weeks, it just kind of became, you know, everybody was just, they wanted the, the saga to end. They were really, they had come, come to terms with Melo, uh, it was not going to be a nugget for much longer. Uh, they wanted the, the whole thing to be over and to move on and to, to see what the organization can do uh, to kind of retool itself. So it's been a really weird few months here, really interesting few months, but uh, the, the the emotions have kind of run the gamut. Chris, and, and we'll get you out of here on this because obviously you got plenty more work to do, but yeah. uh, I, I, I can't help but wonder if in two years we'll be looking back at this and saying to ourselves, the Nuggets traded Carmelo Anthony for Timothy Mozgov. You know what I mean? Like, if, right. if the, the lasting impression of this trade is going to be they, they spent all this time doing this and really what they got out of it was spare parts. I mean, I, I know they're talking like they think Gallinari and Wilson Chandler, these guys are going to be stars. But, I mean, what really can can the Nuggets take away from this? Because any time you get a future draft pick, you're gambling on, you know, what year that pick comes in and, and whether or not the crop of players that year is, is up to speed. I mean, you know, there's so much yeah. other – there's so many other variables that you that you throw into that mix, but if you're just looking player at you know for player for player, Carmelo for Mazga. I mean, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. When you put it like that, yeah, it's, it's interesting because you know, remember that there was a point in time, and there was still a little bit of that kind of toward the end of this trade was in New York, which was, well, do we really want to give up these guys? They've meant so much. They've brought us back to, you know, the, the Knicks, you know, they've brought the Knicks back to prominence or at least to respectability. And But you look at the record, and they were 28 and 26. Right. And, you know, and so while it, it was Wilson Chandler and Danilo Gallinari and, and those guys that were playing really well and had really revitalized things there, you know, the the fact of the matter is, is they were pretty much just a 500 team. And, uh, you know, so now the Nuggets have these pieces, and certainly they are talking them up, as they should. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, we're going to look back uh, at this trade and say, you know, they got some, very, they got some good pieces, uh, but I don't know that they got the, the star pieces that they are uh, predicting that they will be. And sure. I think it's at the end that a lot of these guys will be a nice foundation uh, for them to put a, an actual star uh, in the mix with. And uh, so, uh, listen. I do, I I like Wilson Chandler and uh, and Danilo Gallinari, and, and <laughs> the the, uh, the the feeling around here is that Mozgov is going to be really good uh, once they get a hold of him and develop him. But uh, I think at the end of the day, I think you're right. I think we'll look back and just say, hey, these are very good complementary pieces. They just need to put a star in the mix and 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 really get this thing back going again. No doubt about it. Chris Dempsey of the Denver Post joining us on the Hang Time Podcast. Man, listen, get some rest. And uh, try try and enjoy your life for about uh, twenty four to forty eight hours, man. <laughs> Absolutely, we'll try. All right, Thanks, take care. Guys. Thanks, Chris.
Lang, one thing we didn't ask Chris Dempsey about uh, that we that we probably should have the on, on the back end. Um, what what exactly is Carmelo Anthony's stature and his status uh, amongst his peers in the league? And and Micah and I were having a heated discussion about this yesterday. I I suggested that the Knicks were getting uh, you know not only one of the top five to seven players in the NBA in Carmelo, who's, you know, arguably the, the best score in the league. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about just a sheer ability to put the ball in the hole from wherever on the court inside out. Um, but we also talked about he and Amari as a pair in where they rank. My, my contention was that you're talking about two of the 12 best players in the league. Uh, and Micah took some, some numbers to that. He didn't think that, those two, you know, he certainly didn't think that Amari ranked as highly uh, on that list as I did. And I, you know, I don't want to speak for the man, but Micah, I mean, make yourself clear now. You, you've had a night to sleep on this and think about it. All right, here, here, I think is what I was trying to get across <laughs> yesterday. I feel like the Knicks gave up an awful lot of stuff to get Carmelo, and as good as he is, and as good as Amari is, I don't think the two of them together are enough to win a title, but now they've given up basically every asset that they have to get him. You and I started talking about the Heat and, you know, look how they're doing with they have two of the three or four best players in the league and a bunch of stiffs. Not in, nobody called the rest of the Heat's players a bunch of stiffs for the record. Mike right, just league, sorry, a that. lot a lot of guys who signed for lower level contracts that they could be on that team. Yes. They you know now they're doing great We'll see what happens in the playoffs, but right. a lot of people don't think they're as good as Boston. We'll see about Chicago, whatever. My contention is if you took all those players on the Heat and put them around Carmelo, Carmelo and, Amari. and Amari and, I guess, Chauncey, I don't think they'd be a top-four team in the East. Right. Now, I mean, we, I guess it, we have to ask ourselves, exactly who do you think the Knicks gave up? I mean, what I do think you, that's the question. Yeah, what do you, I mean, what is Timothy Mozgov and what is – you know what? There, there's a. I, I mean, you look. I, I live in New York City. And yeah. A ton of Knicks fans work here at our office. Right. And and a lot of those guys, a lot of these guys, yesterday were like, you know, I think we gave up too much. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, what what did you give up that's irreplaceable? Really? Right. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, uh, Mozgov. He. We don't know what he's going to be four or five years from now, but this isn't four or five years from now. Yeah. You know. Um, I, I I would I mean the one guy that they held on to was Wilson I mean um, sorry Landry Fields that people that was the guy that ever, all along they were like I can't believe they would give up on Landry Fields well they didn't they kept him right um, and now I mean it's not just I don't think it's just Billups I think you look they've got Billups Fields Amare Carmelo and Turiaf I guess is their starting five yeah. And then, you know, Sean Williams, Bill Walker, Tony Douglas off the bench. Sheldon Williams. Sheldon Williams. Um, I mean, you know, I, Role I, players, I, but, yeah, the same sure. type of stuff I, I just, you would have in I don't think they totally mortgaged the future by getting Carmelo. I think, you know, and we haven't even brought up that we don't know. I mean, how, how much of these is, is those guys being system players for D'Antoni and averaging what they average because of the style they play? Well, the, the other part of our discussion, too, Lang, that – I guess bears some more examination is Micah. Micah did not. He didn't like the fact that I said, "Hey, name the if if you don't think Amari and Carmelo rank among the best of the best in the league, name the other guys you would take ahead of them." And he started rattling off names, and and you know that's where we. I think that's where the 
you know, cordiality flew out the door. You know, Let like we started this, going Lane. at it after that. Who, who would you rate higher, Amari Stoudemire, just as a player? Amari Stoudemire or Darren Williams? Because that was one of the ones right. that we were definitely. And that, yeah, about we yesterday. didn't have the Darren Williams trade to to chop up at the time. So I'm thinking, but my initial <laughs> thought is, my initial thought is, it's harder to find a big guy than it is a point guard. At this stage of the in the golden era of point guards, as I wrote on the Hang Time blog today. I would agree with you. And, and Lang, my thing was this. It, it, it's so hard to evaluate a player, you know, just as a standalone guy, not in relation to who he plays with right now and what team he's on and how, you know, how he's viewed. Pau Gasol, his value tripled in my estimation when he went <laughs> to the Lakers as opposed to when he was with the Grizzlies. As a stand, as the number one guy, nobody was sitting there going, man, Gasol is just the you know, the genuine item. Well, as a number two playing with Kobe, he goes from what he was in Memphis to man. You know, he's in the argument as the best big man in in basketball, which he may have been all along, but that wasn't his perception. That wasn't the perception of him when he was a Grizzly. Well, not, you not know, so totally, it's tough, you know. But, but look, when he even when he was on the Grizzlies, you know, he was playing with Spain and, and he I know he was awesome. a, he, exactly. He was. But that's that, that's exactly what I'm talking about, though. It, it's all. It's, it's so much of it is relative to who you're playing with at the time. With well, Spain, he was considered great, but when he was in the NBA, the knock on Gasol was he was soft and he couldn't win a playoff. How about game? This Not a series, a game. Does that change the way you rate Carmelo Anthony? Because when he played in the World Championships, he, he, he was, was the named best. on the All Tournament team. Yeah. In the Olympics, he's been one of the best players on the team. You know, he's fit in really well with those guys. You know, I, to me, that goes a little bit to the question of how he'll be able to fit in right. playing with Amari. You and, know, and that's why I that's why I contend that Carmelo is being underrated by Micah for Micah to say, well, you know, I don't know if he's one of the best. I mean, he's the he's the peer of LeBron and D Wade in international competition. Well, here and here, this sort of gets back to uh, to what we were talking about. I worry, Lang, and I'm curious for your thoughts. I worry a little bit about the compatibility of Amari and Carmelo. I mean, we talked some about, you know, Boston and the, and the three guys they got together, but Pierce and Allen and Garnett fit really well together on the court. I just don't know. I'm, I'm, I guess I'll be curious to see how it works out with Carmelo and Amari playing at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear your point, and you can say, well, you know, Carmelo looked great playing with LeBron and, and Wade and stuff, but that was for two weeks at a time or three weeks at a time in those international things. Um, he hasn't had to do it for a whole season. Um, he hasn't had to share the spotlight in an NBA city with someone. Uh, but I also think, you know, I mean, look look when he had Iverson with him in Denver. The, the, you didn't hear guys complaining about not getting enough shots or <laughs> who was getting attention or anything like that. You know, they, they got along fine, and that's a guy. Did who, they win? No, but and I think you know that's what you learn. That's what he learns from this is you know, uh, this is his chance to win, and, and this is probably the best chance he's had to win since he's been in the NBA. Um, and I, I, you know, I think he he sees it as that, and he can take something from that. I have, I mean, and I have a hard time. I feel like sometimes when you when your name has been tossed around in the in the rumor mill for seven months people start getting fatigued so somehow we you know a lot of people have convinced themselves that Carmelo is not you know the same guy who took a team to the Western Conference Finals a couple years ago like this is still the same dude and I New Yorkers are gonna love Carmelo at you know no matter what they're gonna say yeah this is our guy this you know this is the dude but this idea that he's something 
that he's less than what he was a couple years ago when he was taking the Nuggets to the Western Conference Finals to me is crap. I mean, he's still one of the five to seven best players in basketball. Now, whether or not Amari fits in Micah's hot list of the 12 best, we can argue about that another day. But our next guest, Lang, is, is going to have a unique perspective on not only Carmelo, but he and Amari's, you know, burgeoning relationship as, as superstars in New York. Jonathan Abrams of the New York Times is joining us now on the Hang Time Podcast. I cannot understand why he hasn't joined us sooner, but we're glad he, to have him He can't him understand it either. I know. This weekend about What's it? the deal with I that? I had to beg for my <laughs> Come on, John. <laughs> you were saying you had, to, you had to get the Carmelo deal done to get on the Hang Time Podcast. All right. <laughs> I, I had to tackle Lang at All-Star. <laughs> Well, here you are. So what do you think, man? I, I mean, now that this deal is done, we've been kind of chopping up whether or not Carmelo and Amari fit together as, as a dynamic duo and how good they'll be compared to the other duos that, you know, and other conglomeration of stars that we're seeing around the league right now. You, you know, one thing I think that, that gets lost is that, you know, Carmelo is one of the, the top players uh, in the league, talent-wise, gifted score. The, the thought that he can't adapt his game to, to mesh well with Amari, I think, is is almost idiotic. I mean, I think their games are going to go real well, and they'll be able to, to contemplate one another. If it may take a while, will we see it fully this season? Probably not, but, you know, they're going to be together for a while. Do you think, is Chauncey sort of the forgotten guy in all of this? Like, how important is he going to be to what the Knicks do? That's, you know, that's another thing. Um, I think Chauncey has almost been forgotten in this, and he's a proven commodity. You know, uh, people are wondering whether or not Chauncey can run Dan Tony's system, but he's coming from a team who, who led the league in scoring, you know? Right. So he'll be able to fit in well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm figuring if Chris Duhon can run Dan Tony's system, Jonathan, Chauncey will probably be more than capable of taking care of that business as well. Yeah, I think he'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, I mean, you always think about you think about the D'Antoni point guard, and Steve Nash is the first one to come to mind just as a guy. I mean, he was the most successful at doing it just because he, he, you know, he's like a constant motor kind of guy. And, and Chauncey's getting older, and he, he's not as the same player he was years ago. You see him more in the posts and things like that now. And I think it's a valid question, but I do think, that Chauncey's uh, experience, I mean, he's won a title, it, that, that's going to help a lot in New York. You, you know, it, it, it's true. You look at, uh, you know, you look at the Knicks giving up Raymond Felton, and he's 26 years old. But, you know, Raymond did well here, but he was, he was viewed as a stopgap type of point guard. You know, he probably exceeded expectations, but he was always viewed as a stopgap. That's why they signed him to a, to a two-year, two-year deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Chauncey can fill that gap now until they try and get you know, looks like Chris Paul now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as see if, what happens with Darren? <laughs> yeah, as if you, as if you, you know, we're going to get a break from the speculation now. Now the Knicks, Knicks get Carmelo, and it's like, okay, now when does uh, Chris Paul drop? But Jonathan, explain to 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 Micah here uh, exactly how this plays in New York? Because I don't think a lot, of, a lot of people look at New York and view it a certain way. You live there. You know, like Lang, you understand the, the attention paid to the Knicks. 
How big a deal is Carmelo Anthony coming there? You know, you can speculate about it. LeBron didn't come. D-Wade didn't come. Bosch didn't even come. How big a deal is it now that Carmelo is going to be there tonight on that on that stage at Madison Square Garden playing in a Knicks uniform? You know, I I think it's huge. I mean, I just got back uh, got back this morning. I was in Denver last night, and uh, you know, it, it, it's it's amazing. Um, the you think it's going to be uh, something exciting, something people are looking forward to. You know, people have already forgotten about LeBron and moving on, and they're definitely seeing uh, a plan in the works, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may not be completed yet, but the pairing of, of Amari and Carmelo is definitely two huge steps in the right direction, especially when you look at it, how the teams have been the, the last, you know, decade, you know. This is a great place for basketball, um, great history of basketball here. And, you know, both the Knicks and the Nets have been down um, for for a while now. And the teams of the last few years, you know, you, you cringe and you watch because <laughs> they, they, you know, were a collection of expiring salaries and <clears throat> players that didn't really really fit any type of system and stop gaps. And you, you even saw, you know, in the offseason with the players that Donnie got, you saw an actual team, I think, for the first time um, that D'Antoni had and, and Donnie was able to put together, and you know now they're moving along, uh, you know, trying to finalize their plan. I uh, I was just thinking, like the two two of the more exciting Knicks game nights I've been to the last seven eight years were. I don't even know if you were here when T Mac played his first game, Jonathan. But mm-hmm. I mean, I mean the crowd was was crazy that night, even though it's not the T Mac of eight years ago. But it, you know, and then. Marbury's first game, they played a little clip on the scoreboard before the introductions, and it was Steph saying, I'm home. And the, I mean, I thought the roof was going to come off MSG. <laughs> I think it means a lot, not only that Carmelo is in New York, but that he wanted to come to New York. And the fans know yeah. that. And, and I, I don't know. I just think tonight is going to be, if he plays, if he gets, <laughs> if he passes his physical in time, I think tonight's going to be one of those nights uh, that we talk about for a long time in Knicks yeah. uh, basketball. Yeah, it's it's not you know it's 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 not fans coming to game to see other players anymore. You know, it's not them coming to see LeBron, coming to see Kobe, and now they can come and see Carmelo and Amari on the Knicks and be excited about that. Jonathan, so much has been made about Isaiah Thomas and and the factor that he may or may not have played in this whole thing. Um, where do you where do you rate? the influence, outside influence of not only Isaiah, but maybe James Dolan and whoever else on this deal, above and beyond whatever Donnie Walsh and Mike D'Antoni wanted? Uh, James Dolan was very, very involved in this deal, and you could see it by, uh, you know, how much the, the Knicks offered. I don't know if Donnie was initially willing to, to give up that many players. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I was in Denver last night. Josh Pronky said that he talked exclusively with Dolan while Masai, uh, Denver's GM, talked with Donnie along the process. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not sure how much Isaiah played a role in it. You know, the Knicks obviously released that statement saying that everybody was on board and there was no outside influences obviously pointing to, to Isaiah. But, you know, at that same time, Isaiah, you know, he's not – too shy in saying that he's been involved in the process, you know, while not giving specifics about his involvement, you know, he doesn't he doesn't deny it at all. 
So where do we go from here, John? You think the the Knicks are going to jump a couple slots in the playoff chase, or should we temper our expectations uh, immediately? You know what? I would I would probably uh, table the expectations for this year. You know, I, I would be surprised if they're able to make any noise in the playoffs, or if they're able to pass anybody up. But, you know, it should make for an exciting first round versus whatever team they do end up playing. You see, you know, what with what Miami put together, and they still go through some nights where it, it looks awkward every once in a while. And, you know, Carmelo's probably going to play tonight, and they haven't even had one practice with him yet. Yeah. 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 Jonathan, how, how big of a scab is this now between the, the Nets and the Knicks? You know, here come the, the Nets – getting Darren Williams less than 24 hours later, still in some of that MSG thunder tonight. Not much, but, I mean, still in some of it because I know the Knicks fans will be out and, and they're not going to let that keep them from showing up. But where, do, where does that rivalry stand uh, now between those two organizations and specifically, you know, James Dolan and his crew and Mikhail Prokhorov and his crew? You know, I've better Lang agrees with this, but right now there isn't much of a rivalry, you know. And not yeah. saying not saying that the Knicks are, you know, amazing, but right. uh you know, right now both both the organizations are coming from a while of losing, you know, it's hard to be it's hard to be rivals with anybody when both are losing <laughs> all the time. Um you know, Mikel definitely wants one, you know. He yeah. he admitted that he was involved in Carmelo to basically drive up the price. And uh you know, I saw a tweet that was funny. It was uh, somebody said that Mikel uh, said that if you won't give me a superstar, I'll just take one after the Dan <laughs> Williams trade. And, you know, he, he definitely made a mark. It, it took a while, but he, he made a definite mark. But I think the, the interesting thing with all this is that we've now seen, you know, three different ways that the smaller market teams have, have uh gone away from their superstar players. We saw the Cleveland Cleveland and Toronto lose them versus free agency and they're really going downhill and, and, and railing right now. You know, we saw Denver basically have it have its hand forced, um gave in to all of Carmelo's or preferences but eventually, you know, got a pretty good package back. And we saw Utah sell on Darren Williams at, you know, probably the highest point they could have when, mm-hmm. you know, they got an all-star point guard back. You know, Devin Harris obviously isn't the caliber of Darren Williams, but you know he's not. He's not too bad. And they got you know first-round draft picks and you know a power forward who was 19 years old and the third overall pick in the draft. Right. You know, I was. I was. I mean, Jonathan, you grew up in California, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, I grew me. up in Atlanta, and we both are in New York now. And it, it's interesting being here because it's. There's there's two NFL teams, there's two baseball teams, there's two basketball teams. So there's all these sort of natural rivalries that are there already. And I I think to Jonathan's point, there there isn't that much of a rivalry right now between the Knicks and the Nets. But um, I, I I think in the two years from now, it's it's going to be something, especially once they move to Brooklyn, because that gives them. A, I mean, sure, there's tons of Knicks fans in Brooklyn already, but it's going to give them a home and a place that is theirs right. where they can plant their flag and, you know, start selling Brooklyn sweatshirts and stuff. And <laughs> it, I think, I think you know, right now there's not that much of a rivalry, but um, a year, two years from now, it's it's going to be on. 
Right. And I don't think the the Nets are necessarily planting seeds for a rivalry, you know, to start this year or next, but they're trying to do it. They're trying to be established by the time they get to Brooklyn. Right. Right. Well, Jonathan, we, we're going to get you back on here because you, you and David Aldridge, who was on with us earlier, brought up that great point about the small market teams and kind of what, what they're showing us with the moves they're making, you know, even going as far back as LeBron's decision last summer. And we haven't really talked about the collective bargaining agreement discussion that's going on and, and how all of that factors into what we're seeing now because, you know, we got the trade deadline upon us. But we, we got to get you back on here to talk about that and kind of where we go from here because there are other stars that will be coming up in the next few years in, in similar situations but with much different parameters in terms of what they can do to force a team's hand necessarily or to, to get to their de- desired destination and if that's even going to be possible. Um, which to yeah. me is really going to be intriguing. So, um, um, On this face, we're going to go for 30 super teams, and they're going to have to start going for super, super teams afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> no question about it, man. Listen, enjoy it tonight. Uh should be an experience, and we'll definitely be reading it on, on the New York Times website. Jonathan, appreciate you coming on with us, man. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Later, John. Listen, uh, Lang. Fantastic show on the Hang Time podcast this week. Loving all of what's going on. Get over to the garden. And, I'm curious uh, what, what's going to happen between now and next week. I have no idea, but I'm <laughs> I mean, sure it'll be busy. Five hours in the trade deadline. We're <laughs> taping this, so I'm sure it's going to be bonkers, and uh, we'll have it all for you right here on the Hang Time podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to our guests, all of them: John Schumann from NBA.com, Chris Dempsey from the Denver Post, David Aldridge. TNT's very own and the best in the business. And Jonathan Abrams from the New York Times. Langston, get to the garden, and I'll talk to you next week. Next week, we're on Tuesday. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. Thank you.